The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today we're joined by someone who's been in the business of medical cannabis for a long time. Now, he's also a legendary Canadian founder and a true leader of investing. Bruce Linton joins us now. Bruce, how's that for an introduction? It is quite, uh, I felt like the drum roll was excellent. (laughs) Thank you. We place that in there specially for you. (laughs) So let's have a talk about about you uh, and where you're at and how you've gotten to where you are today. You know, first of all, does ice hockey have anything to do with your journey? <laughs> well, I think uh, stereotypically, of course, I I do love ice hockey. And probably because I'm not sufficiently gigantic, I had to choose something other than being a pro ice hockey player. So perhaps that led me to the entrepreneurial interest because I had to rule out ice hockey as a career. <laughs> So what 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 actually drives you then as a company founder? You know, often on this podcast, we talk to incredibly interesting leaders of various businesses. And I'm tending to find that a lot of these leaders started their entrepreneurial interest when they were quite young. You know, some started businesses when they were at school. And that seems to be the majority. There is a small minority who've, who've done other things and have come to it later in life. Where are you on that scale? Well, I guess I'm a bit of a mix in that um, I grew up on a rural setting. So if you grow up in a, a farming environment, probably farmers, particularly, you know, 25, 30 years ago and 100 years ago, they're extraordinarily entrepreneurial, right? They have all the variables in the world facing them and they have really no safety net whether it's their crop or their cattle or whatever. And so I grew up in a family that was um, involved in that. As one of my bosses once said to me, he said, Bruce, you're not stupid. You just don't know anything. If you stop and think about that, that's actually not a terrible circumstance, meaning your brain works quite well, but it's almost empty of any content. So you run around the world trying to fill your brain with content. And when you fill your brain with content, you encounter interesting things. And if you pursue, pursue them far enough and aggressively enough, you find opportunities uh, and, and uncover ways that opportunities present themselves so that you become an entrepreneur. And so in my case, um, it was an evolution of someone who was afraid of never having enough, meets various opportunities presented, and then starts realizing that the best way to find opportunities in the world isn't to try and invent Google. I'm not smart enough to invent Google, but I am aware enough to see that when certain things like public policy You know, we're always worried about interest rates and inflation and things like that. I'm principally not interested in those things. I'm interested in what is the public policy about topics and how is that out of step or in step with society's expectations? You say, well, that sounds like a boring way to find businesses, and it's not. It means that, for example, the reason I was in telecom and the reason I used to go to Australia was because Optus and Telstra, some decade plus ago, were extremely aggressive in implementing more competitive systems with very advanced data communication platforms. And I was in that business because it was a change in the world that resulted in competition. And so that, that was public policy put forward and changed by courts. In the case of cannabis, 
It was, again, public policy where most Canadians didn't think it was a terrible thing to have cannabis, but the courts and the judges and the police had to enforce the laws that were out of step. And so I started a cannabis company because I knew a lot of people wanted it, and I could see that the rules and the public policy were going to change to catch up with public perception. And so in a weird way, it brings me back to Australia because I, I see Australia as a very progressive place, which draws a great number of tourists. Almost everybody in the world wants to go there. And so I was to Australia several times in the context of the evolution of uh, public policy on cannabis there, as I was seeing it open up worldwide, um, starting really in a weird way with Canada. Mm, Canada's slightly ahead of Australia, aren't you, you know, in terms of regulatory change? Yeah, it, it's, it, we've had a longer runway. I wouldn't say that we traveled super quickly initially. So in 2001, not politicians, but courts said that they couldn't withhold cannabis from Canadians because there was evidence of medical benefit. And so for about 13 years, people would get slowly more and more access to cannabis through doctors. And then um, the government in 2013, 2014, uh, a sort of a reform, kind of right-wing government made the decision to, to really make a structural platform so cannabis would be more medically available. And then um, a few years later, we had an election where for the first time, political will was exercised to say, allow people who want to have it legally to have it for recreational. And so we've really had um, about 21 years of managing it, but it's accelerated like crazy in the last five. It, it certainly has. It's become much more interesting, and I think it's almost become much more, much more mainstream. So, do you consider yourself an expert in that, or a businessman? I'd say I'm. I'm. I feel like I'm reasonably expert on what drove the public policy, and I'm reasonably expert on where the world's shaping up different rules. So, you know, people will tell you well, America is going to have a federal system soon. Well, I've been hearing that for a long time. And I find like you've been hearing that for six or seven years, the word soon and six or seven years hearing it, don't they don't hang together very well. And so I see America as a very odd outlier, but places like Australia, Germany, Switzerland, believe it or not, Poland, Czech Republic, there are places all over the planet which are moving forward rapidly with public policy that is very interesting and very uh, sort of catching up with Canada and could jump ahead. And part of the reason Creso is interesting to me is that you have to think about where does public policy permit me to create great products that will be globally demanded? And then how, when possible, do I, I build my company in those geographies? Now, you've worked with a number of companies before founding Tweed. So you just mentioned Creso, which I want to come back to in just a bit. Now, Tweed would become Can Canopy Growth. Of course, this was the first cannabis producer listed on the NYSE, peak market cap of $15 billion. What was the most satisfying part of that journey for you? I really enjoyed the evolution of people telling you it's a terrible idea to people saying they wish they'd joined you. And, um, you know, that one, we did 31 acquisitions and almost everyone was a good one. But the neat part was that because we got good at doing them, if we did one that wasn't perfect, we kept moving along and putting them together. So I felt very kind of a good accomplishment out of that. We did 16 financings to, to, to run the business and every one of them was at an increased value to the prior one. So everybody who invested made more money if they sold their stock and invested again. That created a place with about um, the day I was fired, and I was fired. Um, entrepreneurs sometimes have that problem. Uh, we had about uh, $3.5 billion U.S. in the bank, and I had about um, 200 and almost 50 people who joined me to work with me who were millionaires or more because of the stock option program. And so, you know, there are a number of things that you feel good about, but I like when you, you leave a place, even if you don't want to, where those are financially well off that joined you and created the value. Now, in, as part of your journey, you've had an investment loss. And, and it sounds like a bit of a personal disappointment as well in Ruckify. What did that teach you? I have several blind spots, several. 
But one of them is I have this perception that I'm very good judge of character and I'm not always. And then I end up trusting and working with people and assuming that everybody has this longer term goal. So I become less diligent in analyzing details. And so a thing like Rockify is like getting snapped with an elastic on the back of your hand as a wake up call. And it tells you, be diligent, dig in, make sure you understand what's going on from the general ledger up. Make sure you understand the direction and detail. And if you keep attaching yourself to the direction and the detail, you don't get disappointed like I did with that one. So do you think that this is something that, you know, when you're talking about direction and detail, is that something you're doing differently now? Oh, well, I I, I do it and I, I, I operate that way. And then you have five or six successes. And then you know what you do? A lot of, you know, a lot of kind of people get, comfortable that they, they happen. So in the case of Creso, like I've been digging in on literally the detail and the direction because I knew some of the people and some of the products, but I wanted to make sure, you know, that any negative news that we saw around the stock or the talk, that the stuff happens, whatever it is, I don't always have to know those details. What I need to understand is, do we have the right products based on the right research? Do we know which markets we want to go to? And with the right capital, can we rip right through those markets and be dominant? And that's the sort of direction and detail that I've uh, I've enjoyed digging in on. So, so talk about Creso then uh, overall. I mean, obviously, Creso is listed in Australia. Uh, CPH is the ASX code for any uh, of those listening to us today. You joined the board as a non-exec director after advising them for a while. So, what what was it about Creso and the journey that the company is on to make you want to make that jump? Well, and, and I should be super clear. I dislike immensely being on boards, and I probably turn down one to five a week. So like, to be clear, it's not like I go, oh my gosh, what a great opportunity. I get to be on, no, I don't like them. But the only reason I do them is if I think I can actually see a 12 month horizon where you can make really meaningful acceleration. And so in this case, I'd known the company and some of their science out of Switzerland for probably two and a half years. And I thought it was some some of the best work in terms of veterinarian oriented products and some of the uh, bioavailability products that I'd ever seen on the planet. But what they hadn't been, it was accelerated through the commercialization process. And uh, as I knew some of the scientists and I brought in some of the people that became uh, now CEO and uh, an acquisition we just most recently did that I'd known for probably a year and a half, I could see how the pieces could come together. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to just be an advisor on how to do it. I want to make sure that it got done. And so if you want to do that, you have to join the board. Now, Chrysler's got operations in multiple countries. You alluded to that before. How do you manage that within this industry? Because it is highly regulated. There is different regulations everywhere you go. There's different customs, currencies, cultures, and so forth. How do you manage that? Yeah, it's a good question because if you don't manage it, the downside is you don't have a business. If you go out of compliance, you lose your licenses. So you have to make sure that you understand that there's a quality assurance, quality control process, and it has to fit with each of the regulators. So in Canada, obviously, I've been able to help them for the last about two years. Um, I think, you you know, Mernova, which is their Canadian division, you'll note is uh, if you Google and say, how's their product reviewed? How's it looking? It's day and night based on key people arriving and really making a great product. Their QA, QC team is strong. Um, that's part of it. The other part is a lot of times companies go offside because they don't want to talk about boring things. You know, like how are we, what is our ERP system and how are we tying together currency conversion, revenue recognition? Uh, this place is not been difficult to get to have that discussion. And so if you can't in a timely fashion report accurately your financial results, you have a problem. And 
while this one isn't going to be perfect, I'm pretty comfortable they're all thinking the right way. Now, you've joined Croso to add to add value, as we've been talking about. Um, you have already made the first play or the company as a whole to enter the U.S. CBD market. There's been a, a strategic acquisition of a private company there. Talk to us about your growth in that. Yeah. So um, I, I always want to call it green goo. Jody, the, the woman that's the principal operator, her and her sister and her mom, started a business several years ago where they were looking at how do they actually extract various uh, botanicals and put them into everything from skin cream to uh, toothpaste. And uh, they were really super thoughtful about this. And one of the, the brightest ladies that I had working for us in our, I'll call it health and wellness uh, part of Canopy, she left us and went to this company. And when I was out, I ended up talking to Michelle saying, what the heck, what's this all about? And uh, they sent me at my request, um, a box with everything they made. And I have two teenage um, male kids. Um, they and my wife and I tried all this stuff. And when teenagers steal everything you get because they think it's fantastic, like the best lip balm you've ever had, the best hand lotion you've ever had, toothpaste that I never even hardly get to try, you realize the products are awesome. And so um, they had this great base plate of products. They had distribution into a really diverse set of pharmacies across America, but they didn't have necessarily enough working capital and they didn't have enough science inputs to make it so they could go to the next stage with things like CBD. And so while I was an, a small investor in Jody's business, I loved it. And I could see the, the sort of match of them with uh, Creso. And all of a sudden you now have a footprint with current products distribution, you add CBD, you expand the, the, the saleable market where all the stuff that Creso already had invented in Switzerland now has a home. And with the footprint, if and when you can actually jump on America for uh, federal legalization of THC, medical or rec, we're already in the game in the country. And so uh, there are a lot of other private country companies that I think we can add to it. But I thought this was just a really terrific first strategic fit. Well, it comes to geographic expansion. It also comes to, you know, expansion into different products. And I know, um, and I'm particularly interested in this, so, so I picked this up straight away, that you're particularly interested in animals and the pipeline of products for pets. Yeah, I, I think it's really bizarre. The world has allowed medical cannabis to humans, starting in Canada and Israel and a few places, for, for decades. But there are really no basis upon which veterinarian products are available to animals, yet if I'm buying dog food, if I, if I eat healthy food, I'm probably going to buy my dog healthy food. And uh, we have a dog that's a COVID puppy, um, which means two things. One, it has no clue who other humans generally are. And if we leave the house for, say, more than four minutes, it becomes anxious. That whole cohort of animals are going to be treated fantastically well when we start returning to office. But they're gonna, we're going to want to look at things that how do we manage their anxiety? How do we help them? And so there, there just is this massive window of opportunity, huge, huge markets. Like if you look at Mars and Nestle, they, they sound like chocolate bar companies. No, they're also huge veterinarian care companies. And so I just think there's this massive gap between what the products are, the dollars being spent, and who the players are. So huge, huge opportunity. Uh, probably the second biggest opportunity behind that for me is um, geriatric care. How do, you, how do you enhance the quality of life of people, whether it's um, how they feel, how they move, how they eat, how they sleep? And so I think some of the wellness um, space will have a sort of a good fit with what we can do. 
you know, the whole perception surrounding cannabis is changing, but it obviously needs to change rapidly. And how do you get a company like Creso to help in that process? You know, you were talking about yourself and your family and how you enjoy the benefits of, you know, the products that you that you provide. But how do you change a, a global population's mindset when it comes to that? Yeah, you, you know, it, it's back to this whole notion of um, cherry picking. So, like, if I was going to go to the Middle East and I really wanted to um, change the perception of cannabis, I don't know that I would try to, like, figure out how do I have recreational cannabis made good under Sharia law. I probably wouldn't want to fight that fight. But if I could show that super expensive racehorses can recover faster and compete better with a CBD product, and I could actually make the very wealthy people who have very terrific racehorses have even better racehorses, I bet I could find a way to win that argument. Now, if I wanted to win an argument, say, in Australia or maybe Germany, I might focus on how do I help a woman who is somewhere between 55 and 70 deal with a post-cancer response, whether it's neuropathic pain, something that allows them to have a better quality of life, even though they've tried other things that didn't work. So they become our spokesperson. Because when mom feels better, everybody cheers for what made mom feel better. And if I'm in America, in Detroit, what I want to show is that we have a platform and a method where people get to buy what they want to buy, and we're already buying without going to jail. So it's about social inclusion and social justice. And so I don't think there's one argument fits all. I think it's, um, you have to be thoughtful and pick your fights and win them. And um, I think the world, to me, I don't care if anyone ever buys cannabis or cannabis-based products. I don't care. They don't need to. What I do care is if they just allow others to do so based on a rational reason for the decision of others without sort of obstructing them. And so we're just trying to get people to think, and that's a lot easier than a lot of people consider it to be. Bruce, what about capital management? Are there any uh, strategic objectives that you have in mind, either you know for twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, that we going to see any any capital raising or, or capital management plans? Well, I think we can be a lot tighter on capital. So I, I've been having detailed budget discussions. Like, you know, each of the divisions has an ability to either generate more or spend less. And so when I looked at how much cash the company's gone through, I think that we have a, a, a way to actually hit the ball further now based on the history of what they've created without needing nearly as much cash. So like, as an example, that entity that we just acquired, they have spent quite a lot and they're at the, they've already entered a great number of retail environments. They're probably, their principal need is something called working capital, meaning we have customers, we just need to have enough cash to make more products for those customers so we can sell them. That is a very different need than when people are saying, you know what, I'd like to try and spend a whack of money to determine if there's any possibility of success in something. That's called big R research money, and that usually goes flush down the toilet. And so I, I just think the company's mainly at a working capital stage more than it is at a um, venture capital stage. And that's usually a lot less risky and a lot less cash. And just a, a final question on Creso for you, Bruce. Um, what, what sort of, I mean, we've talked about the, the buckets of areas that, that, that the company's potentially interested in and, and where the growth strategy is. But what is the pace of growth that you're going to see over the course of this year? Well, you can never say, but um, we'll kind of finish it where I started. So what we did with Canopy is we went from a really bad idea with, with me walking around with it in about five and a half years to, uh, I won't correct your intro, but I think the market cap actually peaked north of 20 billion US. And um, we did that through 31 acquisitions and 16 financings. And those acquisitions were in um, half a dozen countries. 
and they integrate it into a big picture. Uh, I, I didn't sign up for at least a year of pounding as a board member to kind of go, well, can we do this one that we've done and maybe like talk in a year about another? I think there's three or four. They click together. This company already has a terrific marijuana producing asset in Canada. Great science out of Switzerland. A footprint now, which already has retail access with great products in the U.S. That starts to sound like something that looks a bit like, you know, a, a, a coat rack, something you can hang a lot more off of it. And um, I, I don't see why we can't think about one a quarter, be, you know, be a bit, bit, bit aggressive. Okay. All right. Well, it's something we're going to be watching very, very closely. It's an incredibly interesting area of the market right now um, and very rapidly growing. Um, Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us all the way from Ontario today. Oh, no, thank you. I, uh, I think uh, the, the amount that Australians and Canadians share in common, I'm not sure there, there are many as easily related countries as those two. Oh, you're absolutely spot on there. Uh, <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, Bruce, thank you so much. Thank you. Nice chatting with you. Bye. And thanks, of course, to all of our listeners uh, today as well. That's uh, it from the Stock Insiders podcast today. I'm Oriel Morrison. We'll catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.